B-E-A, beautiful. Again, it's good to be with you guys today. I'm going to invite uh, Skip up as I just moved his microphone. Uh, <laughs> and Skip is going to give us the uh, Bible reading today, which comes from Genesis chapter uh, 12, and it's the story of Abraham. Skip, the mic is yours. <laughs> Good morning. Today's uh, Bible lesson comes from the book of Genesis in chapter 12, the first nine verses. I had a pastor once who said that the entire Bible is the story of God's faithfulness in fulfilling this promise to Abraham. Everything in here, everything else that comes is a result of his promise right here to Abraham and to us. So, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. All right, with that, we're going to pray. and We're going to dive into our scripture for today. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God uh, who, uh, as Skip mentioned, Lord, thousands of years ago, you set a promise to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed through his family. Lord, the fullness of that blessing comes in the form of Jesus. And so as we continue to go through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, I pray that you enlighten us, you encourage us, you challenge us, and you drive us closer to who you are and to what you're doing throughout all of Scripture. And all God's kids said, Amen. Beautiful. Again, it's good to be with you guys today. We are in the second part of the Torah series. Last week, we looked at Genesis 1 through 11 and talked about how the core part, the core component of what that is, is built around God saying, I created the world to be good. Something went wrong. Humanity stood up and said, hey, we we got a better plan than your plan, God. It's the Garden of Eden, Eden of the Apple. And then, as we talked about last week, all hell breaking loose. And after we get out of the garden again and again and again, Genesis talks through stories of how mankind keeps trying to make it right. God keeps changing the externals, but because we have an internal sin problem, we have internal brokenness, no matter how many times God fixes the externals, the internals are going to wreck God's story. And so in Genesis 12... We have a change. We have a pivot where God says, instead of trying to change the externals, I'm going to do something new. And as Skip just read, I will make you into a great nation, God promises Abram, and I will bless you. 
and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Jesus is a descendant of Abram, who will one day become Abraham. And this is the start of Jesus pointing, or God pointing to, I'm going to fix an internal problem. And that's what Genesis 12 through 50 then goes with. It goes to the family of Abraham and how God uses this family to one day create the nation of Israel and from the creation of Israel for one day to send Jesus. But there is a really big misconception when it comes to the Old Testament and the New Testament for that matter. Oftentimes, we look at these stories. In fact, back in the 90s, there was an entire genre of Christian literature that was learn to lead like biblical characters, right? So be like a leader like David or Solomon or Abraham or Jacob, right? And so we turned these biblical characters into the model of how God wanted us to live. Well, the irony of that whole story is if you look at Genesis 12 through Genesis 50, these are not people you want to model your life after. In fact, I find a lot of comfort I don't know about you, but my family, again, like I said it last week, we put the fun and dysfunctional, right? We're not always perfect. We, we've got all kinds of warts and wrinkles. Well, the family that God chooses to bring into the story, that he chooses to use, have all kinds of warts and wrinkles. One of the, <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, for those of you at home, uh, there was a, a very poorly sounded trumpet that just came up behind us and sounded more like flatulence. Anyway, continuing on, right? Um, yeah, so uh, warts and wrinkles. One of my favorite stories about Abraham, right? God chooses him. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham believes him. He's like, I believe this. And so you think this is going to be the start of this beautiful journey where Abraham is now this perfect God follower. What's the first thing, literally the first thing Abraham does after saying to God, I will follow you, I believe in your promise. It, it's not read the Bible, it's not set up a church. Things get tough, and the first story we hear about Abram is him and his wife have to relocate to Egypt, and he is terrified because his wife is a cutie. And so he shows up and he tells his wife, sweetie, you are so attractive. So he starts off, right, like doing the, like the honey thing, right? Like, here's your sweetness. You are so beautiful, sweetie. And she's nodding her head. She's like, oh, thank you. She's like, you're so beautiful that they will kill me if they see me with you. And so here's my idea. I'm just throwing this out there to spitball. What if we pretend that you're my sister and not my wife? That way they'll actually be nice to me. And God bless this woman. She agrees to this scenario, right? And so he ends up in Egypt and the king is like, dang, that is a cute sister you got there. I would love to marry her. And so he marries her. God has to bail Abram out immediately. He's like, no, 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 no. I promised you and Sarah kids. Why are you marrying her off? To something? This is not the plan. Abram does this twice. Two chapters later, he does the whole thing all over again. He says this, he says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife, and they will kill me, but they'll let you live, sweetie. So say you're my sister, that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Sweetie, I'm doing this for us. No, he wasn't. He was doing this because he was imperfect. He was doing it because all of us are imperfect. And the beauty of Scripture is that God uses imperfect people 
to see his plan, his action, his love move in the world. And that is good. That's good news for y'all. Because as your pastor, I am an imperfect pastor. It's good news for y'all. Because just like me, the person we see in the mirror every morning, they've got some warts and some wrinkles. So much so that a few years ago, we did a sermon series called How to Read Your Bible. We actually put together a bookmark. I meant to have one today, but we're not on site. We're on lawn. Uh, So I wasn't able to grab it. But on that bookmark, it had three questions about how do we engage with Scripture. And the first question was, how does God provide and protect for his people? So as we're reading through the book of Genesis, as we're reading through Exodus or the book of John, any of the books of the Bible, starting with not putting ourselves at the center of the story, but putting God at the center of the story and just asking the question, how does God provide and protect for his people? And you see that through the story of Abraham, even when Abraham is face planting into the ground, even when Abraham is not acting like he should be acting. God shows up and he protects and he provides and he forgives and he invites Abraham back into the story of what God is doing and the promises God has for Abraham. The second question, though, does start to reflect on the characters of how does mankind's sin and rebellion affect the story? What are the consequences of it? Because sin has consequences. Our rebellion against God, when we put our own thoughts in front of him and his. The story breaks down, and so we see that in Scripture. And then the third question, and this is where we begin to figure out how do we apply Scripture to our lives, is what is God asking of his people in any given story, whether it's Abraham, Isaac, we'll see in a couple minutes, Jacob. And equally as then is important, what is God asking of me? You see, that's where we find our application in the Old Testament. First, by looking and saying, okay, God, what are you asking of Abraham of faith, of love, of caring for your neighbor? And if that's what you asked of Abram, if that's what you asked of Jacob or Esther or Rahab, what are you asking of me today? On the lawn, when we're driving home, when we're calling our dads who are remote, What is God asking of me, and how do I apply that in love? And again, you see this again and again unfold through the forefathers of our faith. This is one of those weird moments where uh, my own ignorance and timing worked out okay. Because we are literally looking at the forefathers of the faith on Father's Day. Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons, which will become the 12 tribes of Israel. These are our forefathers. So it makes sense. On Father's Day, we would dive into them. And just like all of our fathers, they were imperfect. They had challenges, and yet God provided for them. One of the coolest stories of God providing for his kids comes when God finally gives Abraham the son that he had promised, Isaac. Everything's going well. Isaac's growing up. He's old enough to talk at this point. And then God does something that in and of itself, if you were to just look at this one story in scripture, would be so out of character for the God of the Bible, you would really wonder, did someone just write this in by accident? Because God asks Abraham to do something that he explicitly, throughout all of the Old Testament, 
says you will never do this, which is child sacrifice. In Old Testament days, that was actually a way where other faiths in other regions, they would sacrifice a child to try to appease the gods. And God was explicit throughout the entire Old Testament, you will never do this. This is the worst thing you can possibly do. And yet, he goes to Abraham and he says, I need you to sacrifice the son Isaac. And you look, you're like, this, God, why would you do this? What does this look like? But there is a unique twist to the story. Isaac, Abraham brings Isaac up to the mountain and God shows up. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to that region. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering that I will show you. But Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Does that story sound vaguely familiar to you? I need you to sacrifice your son and that God providing a sacrifice? Does that, that sound somewhat familiar? Does it echo something that might happen in a future time where God would provide his son as a sacrifice for our sins? See, in the story of Abraham and Isaac, God is foreshadowing what he is willing to do, what length he is willing to go to have a relationship with you, a relationship with your children, a relationship with your neighbors, a relationship with this world. God uses the story of Abraham to show, I will provide a way out of the brokenness. I will provide a way out of this system, this cycle, this internal problem I'll provide my son, which again is directly tied into that promise that Skip mentioned. All nations will be blessed through you. He's already seeding the story of Jesus in the story of our forefathers of our faith. But then the story goes on. So you've got Abraham first, then you've got Isaac. And quite frankly, Isaac does pretty good. He has some challenges. But you read through his story and there's not like some great mountain peaks or some deep, deep valleys. He's just trying to follow God to the best of his ability. But then Isaac has two kids. Esau, the oldest, and Jacob, the youngest. Esau is kind of like every father's dream. And certainly back in that time, Esau likes to hunt. He brings home food. Kind of rugged individualism. Jacob, literally in scripture, is a bit more of a, and I don't mean this negatively, but he's a bit more of a mama's boy, right? Kind of hangs out with mom a little bit more. But he also was a conniving son of a gun. So much so that Esau goes and he steals his brother's first birthright inheritance. Like literally, he finds a contract with his dad, pretends to be his brother when his dad's eyesight's gone, and essentially has his dad give him the blessing of the firstborn. Hey, you get all my stuff. You get the blessing of the name carrying on through you. This is not a model to follow after. This is not God saying, yes, when your parents are about to die, this is your permission to go cutthroat. Right? And Jacob's whole life is like this. He's not just wrestling with his brother. He's wrestling and conniving with his father-in-laws, with other nations. He even wrestles with God. So Jacob was left alone 
And a man there wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that it was wrenched as he wrestled with him. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not unless you bless me. So Jacob's been wrestling with this random dude all night long, right? And the dude just touches his hip, breaks his hip just by touching it, right? So clearly, dude has a lot more power. Reason, it's God. It's the angel of the Lord. Jacob is wrestling with him, but will not let go until he blesses him, right? This dude is intense. This guy is focused. You will give me this blessing. And the man said, what is your name? And Jacob, Jacob answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and humans and have overcome. God renames Jacob Israel. Do you know what Israel means? He who wrestles with God. I can't think of any better name to name God's people than those who wrestle with God. So I don't know about you, but I wrestle with God. I wrestle with God's plans. I wrestle with God when I want something to happen and something different occurs. I wrestle with God when someone I love is sick and he doesn't heal them. I wrestle with God when I, quite frankly, just want to be a selfish little punk like Jacob. And I want things to go my way, regardless of if it's right, regardless of any of the other circumstances. I wrestle with God. And the beauty of the story of Scripture, what we see, how God provides and protects for his people, is that even when they are wrestling with them, he is fighting for them. Even when we are rebelling, he is working for our good. And yes, there are consequences to brokenness and sin, and there are consequences when we rebel against God, but the good news is that those consequences are not bigger than God. That he will go to any length to have a relationship with you. He will go to any length to have a relationship with me. And that is good news. As we go through the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it ends with the 12 sons of Jacob. And these 12 sons really put the fun dysfunctional. They fought. They were bitter with one another. They made horrible decisions. So much so that Joseph, the favored son, they looked at him and they said, we'd either rather leave him to die or we will sell him into slavery. And they decided making money was a better choice. So they sell Joseph into slavery. And Joseph goes off to Egypt and he spends years in prison. Years being persecuted. Years being forgotten. As he continues to try to be a blessing to everyone God puts in his life. But God wasn't done with Joseph. God was not done with his promise to Abram. God eventually puts Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. Joseph's brothers now need him. They come to Egypt, not realizing who he is, not realizing that how well he's done. And when they find out, they are terrified because he has all the power now. He can exact his revenge. But instead, what Joseph tells his brothers is this. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You see, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, 
the saving of many lives. So do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your family. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. How does God provide and protect his people? Well, even when the consequences of the other brother's rebellion meant one brother was sold into slavery, that they went through famine and hurt, God wasn't done for them yet. God was still working for them. He still had plans that superseded their rebellion and their hurt. And then what does God ask of Joseph? God asks Joseph to forgive. And not just to forgive, but to protect and provide for the brothers who had betrayed him. That even though he had been hurt, he realized that God was going to use it for good. That it wasn't the end of the story. Which then helps us apply, so what is God asking of us? Everyone on this lawn, everyone on this live stream, we've all been hurt by our family. Or our co-workers or our neighbors. And yet we have a God who says, I'm not done yet with those relationships. I'm not done fighting for you and I'm not done fighting for them. And I promise that what the world intends for evil, God can change for good. And so what does that mean for us? It means we don't have to be afraid like the world is afraid. It means we don't have to be angry like the world is angry. It means we don't have to cut off relationships, but instead can hold out hope, hold out trust that our God is still working and that what was intended for evil, God will do something good with. And that is the story of Genesis chapter 12 through 50. It's our forefathers, the original men of faith, as broken as they were, that God still used them, that he blessed them and that their use was a blessing to the whole world culminating in the story of Jesus and now being told in your family, in your rhythm of life, at your workplace, at your school, God wants to tell his story and he wants to use you to be a blessing to the nations because now that we have the internal fix of Jesus, we can start helping work on these external quagmires we find ourselves in. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for Joseph. He spent years languishing, wondering what God was going to do, but God wasn't done. Abraham waited 80 years before his son was born. Time isn't a thing for God. And so we are patient, and we wait, and we hope, and we cling. And that is the story of Genesis. I ask you guys to pray with me. I'm going to ask Tanner uh, to come up. He's going to start us with a song uh, as we get our kids back uh, to start with a time of communion. But again, pray with me now. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. As we study and learn about our forefathers, these imperfect men that you called to do beautiful things. Lord, we pray not to model their faith, but we pray for the God who fought for them. Lord, that you would fight for us. You would fight for our kids. You would fight for our community. Lord, and that you would send us off not to fight with the weapons of the world, Lord, with anger and with division, but Lord, with love and with patience and with kindness and with grace. 
Lord, that we can pay forward your divine favor in our lives into the lives of everyone you bring into our own. Lord God, we're excited to see what you're going to do. Father, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen.